Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. And this is episode 181. We are trucking on along this week and this series iteration, as I always say, it's Victory Lane, volume two of sorts. Um, Quick housekeeping note. You may have noticed that last week uh, there was not an episode, no real explanation other than life caught up with me and I was super, super busy. Uh, Bristle Dirt was on Sunday night. I drove back home to D.C. all of Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday were insanely busy at work. A lot of a lot of things happening for Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, Channel 90, of course. And then by the time Friday came, uh, I was doing Loose Ends, which takes up a lot of time. I was doing TMD, which takes up a lot of time. And I wasn't able to set up a time to record with any potential guest until late that afternoon, which wouldn't have even worked because everybody was at Martinsville getting wet in the rain. So that's my roundabout way of saying that's why there was no episode last week. But fear not, because we have a good one for you here this week. As you can see from the episode title, Chris Lawson is the guest this week. He is the shot caller and the crew chief for Zane Smith in the Craftsman Truck Series at Front Row Motorsports. He is a multi-time K&M Pro Series West champion with Bill McAnally Racing and Todd Gilliland. He is one of the bright young minds in NASCAR. I really think that people need to start taking more notice of this guy atop the war wagon because he is doing incredible things, not just with Zane Smith, but with Front Row Motorsports in general. And as fate would have it, a good time to have him on this week. I didn't even know this when I booked it, but he will be reuniting with Todd Gillen this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway in the 36 car for Front Row Motorsports. So excited to see them rekindle their partnership of sorts. And excited for you guys to hear that conversation. We'll get there in just a couple minutes. We got some Martinsville to chat about. We got Talladega to preview. But before we do any of that, Papa Siegel has this week's Wayback segment. And he is paying homage to the number 81. What have you got cooked up for us this week, Father? Thank you, Duke, and welcome everyone to episode 181. Last time through the numbers, we paid homage to Herman the German, the colorful Kenny Wallace, with an honorable mention nod to Iron Man Jack Ingram. Hmm. think I'd switch those two around if I had that to do all over again. But what am I talking about? It's my segment. If I want to switch it around, why can't I? So, let's give Ingram the respect and attention he's due. He was nicknamed the Iron Man for a combination of his hard-charging racing style, but also for the relentless schedule he kept of short track races along with his larger NASCAR Touring Series gigs. While Ingram made 19 Cup Series starts, including four in the 81 car, in 1967, he was more well-known as a Bush Series campaigner. He won 31 races and five poles there, including the Series Championship 
1982 and 1985. Perhaps even more impressive was Ingram winning those races, polls, and championships, not as a young gun, but as a seasoned veteran between 45 and 50. Again, he was the Iron Man. Even before his Bush Series success, Ingram won the NASCAR Late Model Sportsman Division Championship for three consecutive years, from 1972 through 1975. Not too shabby. Jack Ingram was rightfully inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2014, showing that greatness in the sport extends beyond the Cup Series. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. As always, love to uh, learn a little bit about each of these numbers and the history of NASCAR lore. And now that we're repeating numbers, I get to learn something else about each specific said number. So, Dad, thank you for that. As always, looking forward to 82 next week. So let's just get right to it and start this episode off, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned And throw it straight over to my interview with Chris Lawson. Sprayed a lot of fields with him. He uh, was actually recording this sitting in his car or his truck. I'm sure it was a Ford F-150. Um, before he was heading to a doctor's appointment because he's got a lot going on. He's got to fit these doctor's appointments in when and wherever he can. But gave me a lot of his time. Was very gracious as always. And I really appreciate him doing so in an insanely busy week. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Front Row Motorsports Championship winning crew chief, Chris Lawson. Pleasure to welcome onto the show this week, one of the budding superstars atop the war wagon, in my opinion, in the NASCAR National Series. It is Chris Lawson, shot caller for Zane Smith in the truck series and also dabbling in the cup series this year for front row motorsports as well, which we will get to First and foremost, you are a busy man every week, but more specifically this week, what the heck has you relegated to your car for the studio today? They couldn't give you a private room? Yeah, we've been uh, we've been thrashing, man. It's uh, it's crazy. It's nonstop. Um, no, I've uh, actually – so on our off weeks, you always schedule everything that you got to do, right? So this week I, I scheduled a couple doctor's appointments and stuff trying to just get it all in and it's hard and uh so that's what uh, i'm actually doing right now is actually uh getting ready to head that way so um just took a little break here talk to you and uh, yeah no it's it never quits though never always got to put the podcast before the doctor's appointments right <laughs> yep always <laughs> so it's been a, a pretty damn good start to the truck series season for you i would say obviously coming off the championship last year which we'll get to You've already visited Victory Lane a handful of times this season. I would assume that you're pretty happy with the results on track that you've had so far, I guess, a handful of races into the season. But if you're not, tell me otherwise. Give me a little status report in terms of what you and Zane have been doing so far. Yeah, no, I'm happy with uh, I'm happy with our speed. We've had really good speed. Zane's been doing an amazing job. Um, everybody on the team, we haven't had any, um, you know, no failures or anything. It's just... I don't. Uh, I feel like we've let we've let a couple slip away this year, and not to any of our doings. Just you know, you're gonna have those, right? Um, I felt like we had really good luck last year, and uh, I feel like we've maybe not had as good of luck this year. So you will have that, right? It's always got to make it circles, and and uh, we've kind of been struggling with that part. But uh, we've had really, like I said, really fast trucks. Can't complain about any of that, and the job Zane's been doing has been amazing. 
So I was looking at your racing reference page in preparation for this interview, and obviously a lot of people know you as Zane's crew chief. Remember back when you crew chief Todd to those two K&N West Series championships. But a lot of other drivers have been kind of intermixed in there. Just to name a couple, Bo Lamastis, Drew Dollar, Tyler Dipple back in the day. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. What stands out to you about Zane Smith specifically in terms of all the other drivers that you've worked with in the past, whether it's in the truck series, in Kane and in Arca, is there one thing that sets Zane apart from the others? Yeah. Um, Zane. Yeah. I think it's his ability to brush it off. Honestly, like it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, he just kind of on to the next thing, right? You know, we have a bad weekend, we have a bad race, we have a bad lap. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's always just, um, all right, it's over. Let's get back to it, you know? So I feel like the mental part of that uh, is really good for him. He does a really good job being able to throw away the bad and uh, and look forward to the good. Um, and then obviously he's got a lot of talent, right? He's He's got a lot of a natural ability. And I've worked with a lot of drivers that have a lot of natural ability. Todd Gillen has a ton of natural ability. So but I think right now it's just his mental state, you know, knowing that that even if we have a bad week, the next week can be good or, or will be good, you know. So I feel like that's where he's at. His confidence is up um, because of that. And I think that's where his he's able to shine right now. Seems like he kind of exudes that California cool moniker, right? Like you hear about it and you see it, but you work with him every single day. So you kind of live it with him hand in hand. Is that kind of fair to say that's just, he's a very calm, mild mannered guy in and out of the race car. Yeah. Like he doesn't, uh, like I said, it just, it doesn't matter what it is. It almost seems like, you know, if it does get to him, it's very short lived and, uh, he's just moves on and, and we get back to it. So, which is huge in motorsports, right? Like we race almost every week, um, with something. And I feel like you gotta be able to have a little bit of that. It's, it's easy to carry the bad weeks with you and it will affect what's coming up. So you have to be able to shed that and get on with it. And I feel like he does a really good job with that. We mentioned Todd Gillen a couple times already. I want to go back to 2017, 2018, or maybe 16, 17, whatever it was when you guys were out West chasing those championships and earning those championships. You won those back-to-back titles in successive years for Bill McAnally racing. That's where I first got to know you a little bit, being out West with the K&M Pro Series. I'm just curious now. I mean, it kind of makes... Both of us feel old because it's five years ago at this point, and Todd's now in the Cup Series. You're doing your thing. You're a champion. But looking back on those years when you guys were winning races every single week, going from short track to short track, bull rings out west, and well, we haven't even got to the east part of things, which we'll get to in a minute. What comes to mind when, when you reminisce and think back on those days? I'm sure that at sometimes it was stressful. It was fun. It was all wrapped into one. Oh my God, why am I doing this? I can't be doing both at the same time. But you clearly wound up having a lot of success and it bore a lot of fruit. I'm curious if you have any specific thoughts when you think back to those days. Honestly, I think about how stupid we were, you know, some of the things that we did and (laughs) and didn't do and how much better I feel like that we could do it again, you know. Um, You know, you're always smarter the next day or the next year, but I felt like... um, you know, it still pains me that we gave away the East Championship and, and not to our doing. We cut a tire, but there were still other things that we did throughout the year that I felt like we could have done better. And, and uh, we, we there was no reason why we shouldn't have won both championships in that same year. And um, Man, just looking back on it, it's always that for me. It's always like, man, I, I can't imagine going back and doing it again and, and, and not thinking that we could do it better, you know? Yeah, I remember that too. I mean, I, I think I was... 
I may have been out west for a race, and I was at my hotel gym following along, listening to the broadcast, and I remember, because you blew a tire, I think Harrison won the championship, I don't know if he won the race, but when you guys blew that tire, that that's kind of what did you in. I'm sure you've had highs and lows, you know, across the board as a crew chief, but that probably had to have been one of the biggest gut punches, right? Because it's not at, it's not in your control. It'd be one thing if it's something that you did wrong, but it's just something completely circumstantial has just hit you. Yeah, it was rough, man. It was like um, we went into that, I think, with like a 12 or 14 point lead, like a pretty, pretty good, comfortable lead. And it felt like all we had to do is just execute the day. Don't do anything stupid. And, and we had a really fast car. Um, so Todd did a really good job. I think we were running like third. And uh, Harrison, I think, was right behind us. And we were running third, fourth. And it's like, okay, basically just, you know, be smart, right? Like, don't do anything stupid. And um, Harrison had run us down. We got a little bit tight. And uh, coming towards the end of that run, and he blew it right front and pounded the fence. And it was just like, literally the perfect storm you know Harrison ended up winning the race uh, I'm like 99% sure he won the championship and the race and you know we we lost by like six points and it was like man if we yeah. literally all we did to do was just finish you know just have a decent day and uh and, and we still managed to lose so yeah it was rough man like I said I can handle it if it's something we did or he did you know sure. mistakes are going to be made but man it's just a failure and, and you feel like you did everything you could to make sure you didn't have any of those um it, it sucked it really sucked and and you know, to, to have a shot at being able to do something that nobody else did, that part's cool, right? Like, no matter how you look at it, it was still cool to be in that spot and have the potential to do that, but it still sucks, even thinking back on it now. Yeah, I'm sure. So I, I find it interesting that the one thing that comes to mind is how stupid you guys were, because I would think, oh, the travel, the logistics, the stress of it all, the excitement, the the accomplishment of winning all the time. What specifically comes to mind when you think, Oh, we were so stupid. Like what would you do differently? Or, or why does that come to mind for you? I just think about all of the, um, more of the race car side, like, you know, how we race the setups, you know, the, the things that at the time we thought were a really good idea and they were a terrible idea looking back on it, <laughs> uh, whether we won or not, you know, there were still yeah. times that I look back on, I'm like, man, we, we won that race. Like I look back now and I'm like, man, we won that race. And I'm like, wow why did we win that race and uh but i mean that's what made it cool though we were experimenting every week i know it may not have looked like it because we you know we ran well about every weekend but yeah we literally experimented every weekend like there was something that we wanted to try every weekend and that was the fun to me like i feel like you had to do that then to learn and the practice and and everything that we gained out of it and todd you know he was getting that that seat time too and i felt like it was good you know and and but um yeah, that's the stuff that mostly I look back on. I'm like, man, I don't know how we won as many races as we did. We should not have been able to do that. And uh, and, and the sleeplessness. And, I mean, there's a lot to it. We There was a lot of East Coast, West Coast trips in the same few days. I mean, you know, going back to Dover, one of those, like, you got to get rid of it and get on with it is, like, Dover, we we blew a tire, pounded the fence down, literally sawzalled the car to get it in the truck. And we got on a plane to go to, I think it was Meridian. The next day, we had to be in Meridian to race a West race. And it was like, man, you talk about from the lowest. So you just got to forget it and get on with yeah. it because we had to go to Meridian to win a race, right? So it was cool, though. Like, I, we, I know we went to uh, later on that day after the Dover race, we flew to Meridian, woke up that next morning and, and practiced and qualified on the pole for a Meridian race. So, like, 
it was quickly forgot. I don't want to say it was like forgot, but it was it was quickly like, all right, we got work to do. Like um, we're over that, and it's time to win a race today. So um, yeah, we qualified on the pole. I think we finished second. So it was um, like I said, you you have to be able to not carry those with you and get back after it. Yeah, I, I even remember one time there was a there was a double, whether it was two races in two days or two races in three. I think East was at Bristol, West was at Evergreen, maybe. And that was one of the times that I actually did both races and I flew out with you guys, I think. Um, and that was just like, a, oh my God, I, I can't even imagine like having something on the line here and going through all this logistical hassle and everything like that. So that, that was a crazy time period, but one that even though you didn't get both championships, I'm glad that you can kind of look back pretty fondly on. So atop the war wagon, that's how people know you. That's where you make your living now. I find it interesting, though, when you Google your name, uh, Wikipedia has you listed as a, quote, racing driver, unquote, uh, which is not untrue, as we know. Uh, do you think that people still consider you like a race car driver deep down when they know you like kind of the true OGs or are you fully converted to crew chief shot caller now? I feel like I'm fully converted. Um, I still get a few people here and there that ask me, like, um, you know, are you going to race or um, – no, I mean, I don't, I don't foresee myself ever doing it. If I do do it, it'll be purely out of the enjoyment of, you know, just making laps somewhere at some point yeah. in time, but it will never be in, in the competitive nature that it used to be. Um, so yeah, no, I've, I've pretty much fully transitioned into, uh, just, just being, uh, working on them and being on top of the box. You're doing pretty good at it. So I would keep at it. Um, this is kind of before my time, but doing some reading and some watching and listening and stuff. I think it was at Bristol a little bit over a decade ago. There was some dispute between Jennifer Joe Cobb and her team owner at the time, and you wound up getting in that truck and starting and parking, and that was kind of the first time that you ran a competitive National Series race. Do you remember that day? Yeah. Um, I had done a few things with uh, – I can't remember the guy's name that owned that team. He was a little shady, and um, – <laughs> I did some things with him and, and previous, like getting some parts and stuff for him. And I, I was running for Jimmy means a couple times and, yeah. um, I just happened to be there and, and I guess they, some happened between him and her and, and she left and he found me and was like, Hey, I saw you earlier and I knew you were here. And like, you want to, you want to make a few laps in this thing so we can get paid. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I, I, be honest with you, I can't even believe I fit in her seat enough to make laps. So, <laughs> um, but I, I managed to do it somehow. So when did the the driving dream, so to speak, and that kind of side of your career totally go by the wayside? Because like you said, that wasn't the first or the only time that you were driving a competitive race car at some points. When did things start and then when did things kind of end for you? Yeah, um, it pretty much ended for me when it was um, – it just wasn't worth the work, honestly. Like you put in so much effort and so much time of your life to something that no matter how you do it, you're going to be relegated to a 20th or 25th place finish at best, you know, and it's just the, just the time and, and the money that we had to, to devote to it. And you get to that point in your career where you're like, okay, it's not worth the time anymore. Like I would rather go work for somebody else and put that same amount of time in and go be able to win races because they have the resources and the money. So, um, that's kind of what drove me to, to be in where I'm at today. Um, glad it did right like it, there's always you know one door closes there's always a, a usually a better door that opens so uh, it's definitely what pushed me to do it I would say that I was not enjoying it either as much as what I knew I could you know when I late model raced and I felt like I had everything I needed to go win every week and I would run top three 
I felt like that was the the pure enjoyment for me. And you get to that point where you're like, okay, the, the, the fruit, you know, or the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore. So that's where I got to, it just felt like it wasn't worth the time and, uh, and pushed me into working with teams and, and people that, you know, had the resources and had the capability to spend enough money to go in races. And, and, um, and that's why I did it. And honestly, uh, to be honest, I've, I've enjoyed this side of it as much as I did the driving side. So when you made that decision to get out of the seat and then go on the other side of things, presumably you didn't just happen into a crew chief role and start winning races right at the gate. What were the steps that you took, whether it was different positions with different teams, different cars, vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, to get to where you are now as a crew chief? Because again, presumably you didn't just kind of happen upon this opportunity with front row and DGR before that and BMR before that. Yeah. So I went to work. Um, I liked late model race and I enjoyed it. Um, so I, I, you know, kind of put some feelers out and ended up getting a job working with uh, Ronnie Bassett Jr. doing some late model stock stuff. And we, uh, we ran, I think two, two or two and a half years of, um, like UARA is what it was then as a cars tour is what it is. Um, but it was called UARA then. Um, we did that for like two and a half years, did some NASCAR late model stock races and won, I don't know how many races over those two years, a lot. Um, you know, he was a talented race car driver and it just, honestly, it was weird. It kind of just timed out right. Like he was what I felt like in the prime of his late model career and I was just getting started so he could carry me where I was weak. And, um, and I felt like I did have a little bit to bring to the table with being a driver and, and knowing what he needed and how he felt in the car and, so we, uh, we had a lot of success. Um, you know, I felt like that was, a that was a strong two years for me of building and learning. And, but that's what kind of kicked it off for me. I, I kind of realized that there is a, you know, enjoyment in this side of things for me. And, and I enjoyed winning doing that as much as I did when I was in the seat, if not more at times, because I felt like I had more to devote to it as far as, um, the work side, you know, when you're driving, you're like, ah, man, maybe not. I don't need to, I can spend a little time or energy on different things because I'll, you know, I'll try and make up for it in the seat. And when it's somebody else in the seat, you're like, Oh, they can't, I can't wait on him to make up for anything. Right. I got to get it all. So, uh, I felt like there's a little more rewards doing it. So that was it, man. That's what kicked it off and, um, haven't stopped since. That's interesting. Cause you know, we hear all the time about being behind the wheel. You can make a tangible difference depending on what racetrack you're at, what you have underneath you in terms of a car or a truck. And obviously crew chiefs do as well with the specific pit calls they make or the setups that they make. Having done both now, can you kind of tell a tangible difference that you can make when it comes to whether it's calling the race, setting up the truck or the car for Zane, and that gives you some personal satisfaction being able to say, all right, even though I'm not driving and making the decisions behind the wheel, I know that decisions and choices that I make help us win. Does that give you some satisfaction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like every week there's things that, um, you know, both of us have to make, whether it's Zane, I, or our engineer, um, really anybody on the team, we all have to make decisions that, you know, will contribute to whether we run good or bad. So I I do feel like it's just as as much satisfaction or importance put on what I do now as to what I did then when I worked on them and drove. Like I said, the only difference now is I know that what I do uh, is, is, I can't do anything to help him in the seat, right? So, like, what I do on my side has to be 110%. Right. So that way that he can do his job 110%. So I feel like now I do better. I do, I do more with what I can. 
Yeah, the one I did when I drove it. Because when I drove it, I just be like, ah, I can probably make up for that, you know. So you just go on with it and and devote your time or energy to something else. But now it's uh, it's all in on making it as good as I can make it every week. So yeah, I definitely see the the reward in in doing what I do. Is there any witty banter at all, whether it was with Todd or with Zane now about like, hey, you know, I could probably beat you on a maybe a five or ten lap run on sticker tires. Maybe we should make it happen. No, I've, I honestly, I'd never have. I've always told Todd, um, you know, as, as much uh, as much crap as he does like to give me, um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever told him that. Now, I have told him that at times that I, I feel like he did something that I would do, and that was really stupid, and that even even I know enough now not to do that. So, yeah. Um, but no, I, they're they're both super talented, man. I, I wish that honestly that I had as much raw ability that they had when I was their age and I felt like I maybe could have made it a little further but um, I had to do it on hard work and hard work alone so going back to Todd for a little bit you know you win those two championships out west with BMR you move to DGR you move to front row with Todd getting kind of the truck series program off the ground and then Todd has some success with you and the 38 team and moves on to the cup series 38 team within the same organization, but moving up to the top of the top, the cup series. I'm, I'm curious for you, somebody who had worked with him from when he was real, real young, real, real green, late models, K and N onto trucks to see him graduate up those ranks and then get to the pinnacle of where stock car racing is. How did that make you feel? Yeah, it was really cool, man. To see him run his first cup race, um, it meant a lot to me and what we were able to do as a, as a, I say as a group, like it was me and his dad that worked pretty much on everything that he drove uh, up until the cup series. So um, it was really cool for me to see him be able to do that and uh, take that step and, and realize that, okay, all the work that we put in all the time, all the time he put in, like it, it did get him somewhere, right? Like there was a end game, there was a, you know, a result in everything that we did. And, Cause man, there was, there was highs, but there was some lows too. So oh, yeah. to see him, um, you know, brush those off, I guess, um, and, and still make it to the pinnacle of our sport is really, really cool. It, uh, it still means something to me every time we get on the racetrack. So going back to last year now, Zane Smith comes into the fold, right? He's been having some success at GMS racing, ran in the Xfinity series for JRM, had a lot of success there, but you guys come out the gate swinging. Came out the gate strong, obviously won four times on the championship. I'm curious, before you got to that point, before the playoffs even started or even you guys made the run to the championship four, as a crew chief, working with a new driver for the first time, when did you know that Zane had it and you guys as a team were going to be built for a championship run? Man, I knew I knew the year before, um, racing against him and with Todd, and we had a there was a few races that I felt like Zane outdid his equipment and uh, I felt like Todd did the same thing, but um, there's a few times that I saw Zane have those same moments and I'm like, man, that, this kid can, can do it right. Like there's no doubt in my mind that wherever he ends up, if he can get himself in the right situation, he can do it and um, ended up working out that he ended up over there with us. And I don't, I don't a hundred percent know. I've never asked how that all came together, but um, it, it works. Right. And, so no, I never had a doubt in his ability ever. Um, you know, just watching him around the year before, and, and you know, like when you, when you're at the racetrack every weekend and you see these kids race and you see the decisions they make, you know, you know whether they can do it or not or if there's potential in there. So 
Um, yeah, I knew the year before when we were racing against him. And, and what's crazy is I knew, um, even with Todd, if we'd had him, that we kind of hit on some stuff. We started gelling. Our sim started working a little better. Like the last seven races, I would say, of the the 20, I guess it would be the 21 season with Todd. I felt like, man, we were on it. Like we, we legitimately had a chance to win five of the last seven races or six of the last seven races. And, uh, and I felt like we could carry that into the next year. So like, there was no doubt in my mind that if, you know, somebody like Zane filled the seat that we were going to be strong and, uh, it just ended up working out. Honestly, timing wise, everything that we developed the year before with Todd. And it's kind of like Zane got to reap all the rewards and the benefits of it. But, um, I felt like with either one of them, we were going to be really strong team last year and, and, uh, it worked out. Yeah, it did. I would say so. Even, even so, I mean, having the, the foundation in place from a race team perspective, Zane as a driver had the the raw talent and the skill set. Combining those, you would obviously assume that it would be a match made in heaven. But as a crew chief and driver, you know better than anybody how important that relationship and that cohesiveness is. Was there any issues gelling whatsoever to kind of start things off? Or having raced against him, you kind of knew his tendencies, knew his his facts and figures, whatnot, and you were able to kind of hit the ground running with him from a personal level as well. Yeah, no, I've, I've always seemed to honestly do a little better with, uh, I, you know, with working with kids in the late model deal, I've always seemed to do better with younger, um, younger drivers. Um, and it's weird because like, I, I have a respect for all the older guys too. Like, you know, the little bit that I've been around David Reagan and Gilliland and, and those guys, like I, I enjoy being around those guys, but I've always seemed to have a better, connection with the younger drivers so like i wasn't worried a bit i don't know if zane was but i feel like um where his head is i know where he's at as a driver where i left off as a driver was kind of that and i feel like that's why the connection usually is usually pretty good and i kind of know what he's thinking before he thinks it so um yeah that part was honestly seamless for us so you're off to talladega this weekend the trucks will be in action the cup series will also be in action, and wouldn't you know it, the morning of our recording, get news that you are going to have a reunion of sorts with your old boy, Toddley, going to crew chief for him in the Cup Series race. What do you think that's going to be like, getting back atop the war wagon and being in his ear again? Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, kind of a no-pressure weekend, right, for us. Yeah. No points on the line. I mean, obviously for him, but for us, it's just fun, right? We're just going to go enjoy it, have a good time, and uh, try and pull a good finish out of that one. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The cup stuff is a little different for me. I'm not 100% in love with it, I would say. Um, <laughs> I like the truck stuff. It's 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 truly enjoyable for me every weekend. And, and uh, the cup stuff is, eh, it's okay. So we'll see. I think coming at it from this side where there's zero pressure and it's just all about having a good time, I think um, I think that'll make it where I can I can have some fun with it this weekend. Is the, the lack of love for the cup stuff, does that have to do with the pressure kind of associated with it, or is there any other extenuating factors? Uh, mostly for me, it's just the ability to um, outwork the next guy, right? Like with the truck stuff, I feel like I can put in extra effort and we can make a difference uh, with my hands, right? Like I can make a difference. I can sure. work harder. I can I can make things for that truck that are going to make it faster. and with a cup car, I can't do that anymore. You know, everything is, is what it is and it's all spec. And, um, I, there's some cool features of it, but they're just very limited. You know, it's, we're down to very few things that we can influence. And so that part to me is the, the, the no fun part. Um, but the pressure part, 
honestly, it's weird. I feel way less pressure going and doing a cup race than I do doing a truck race. Um, you know, I feel like the, the trucks to me is, you know, it's our life. So everything is on the line every weekend for us, every point, every lap, everything we do is, is all about, you know, trying to make the most of it. And with the cup stuff, I feel like when we go, it's just like, Oh, this is fun. This is like late model racing again, you know, yeah. don't have to worry about the points. We're literally there for one lap and that's the last lap. So, um, that's the cool part to me. That's what does make it enjoyable. Um, and of course getting to do it with Todd. I mean, that's, there's, you know, I always enjoy being at the racetrack with him. Um, especially now I feel like he's developed more as a race car driver and his feedback and the things that he can do to help me that he couldn't do when he was 15 years old is immense. So, um, it's, it's always a good time though. Yeah. 10 years and a married man. That'll change you for sure. Uh, you're also one for one in getting top tens in the cup series. So you better keep that streak up this week. You don't want to break it. Right. I know. I know. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I, I have a good feeling. Um, Todd's been doing an amazing job and, and wow, his last four races, I mean, Martinsville, God, the kids yeah. had a shot to honestly win the race. I mean, they were, they were very good and he did a great job all day and, and had a part failure there towards the end. And, and, but, but he's been killing it here lately. So yeah, I hope to carry that momentum for him and, uh, hopefully maybe we can do some amazing things down there. Yeah. Front rows had some success at Talladega in the past, David Reagan and, uh, David Gillen come to mind. Reagan got that win a handful of years ago. A couple more things. You mentioned how uh, the Cup Series differs from the Truck Series in terms of the next-gen model, the the single-source supplier, kind of a spec series versus the Truck Series where you can get your hands dirty physically and literally, um, and also, you know, mentally, and kind of get down and dirty with it. How do the preparations for you as a crew chief differ from series to series. You're obviously still putting in the bulk of your effort and time into the truck series effort, given that's where you are running a full-time season trying to defend your title. But the cup series, you obviously have to put some effort in there as well. I assume you're probably leaning on Travis and Ryan a little bit to make sure you have your I's dotted and your T's crossed ahead of Sunday. Yeah, for sure. Those guys are, they're both amazing, man. They do a really good job. Um, you know, I honestly have nothing negative to say about either one. They've, They've uh, they've carried the torch very well, and um, and actually, honestly, looking forward to, to working with them a little bit. You know, we get busy and tied up in our truck stuff, and it's almost two different worlds, right? So yeah. it's cool to dive into their world and work with them, and kind of you know see what they're thinking and how they approach each weekend. And so that part to me is really cool. There's always something to learn from everybody, and and I feel like of of anybody I could pick to learn from, those are two really good guys. So yeah, yeah, having fun with that too. Like honestly, we. We've we've already been talking a lot of crap to each other between the shop of you know the three cars and and you know who's going to run the best who's going to qualify the best right because we all know we have the same stuff so yeah. um, that part's really cool that part is fun and 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 yeah they they're definitely a good uh, strong deal to lean on they've got man I can't tell you um, how many hours those both those guys put in and devote to every weekend and and uh, it definitely shows like I said they've been running really well this year so yeah pump for that honestly like that's the coolest part to me is the camaraderie and uh, the those guys willingness to help me is cool i had in my notes you know the the logical next step for you as a crew chief would potentially be moving up to the cup series maybe when or if zane goes there full time or if todd has a move where he wants to maybe rekindle some magic with you as a crew chief but given what you said about you know you enjoying the truck series and the platform that they represent and they have versus what the cup series has right now or even Xfinity, even though Front Row doesn't have a necessarily presence there. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you're pretty content in the truck series right now. You're doing a, a hell of a job. So 
correct me if I'm wrong again, but it seems like you're really content with where you're at and you don't foresee moving anytime soon. No, I, I truly enjoy the trucks. Um, it's, it's, it's where I feel the most at home. And I, and when I get up every morning, I, I thoroughly look forward to doing it. So I don't see that changing anytime soon. Maybe if it does, I feel like I need a, uh, you know, change in, in, in scenery or something. Maybe we can make that happen and maybe I'll look to do some cup stuff. But right now I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the trucks and, and, and everything about it, going to the racetrack, the officials, all of it. I feel like it's, it's a really good place right now. And it's, some of the best racing and uh, has been for years. Right. So I feel like that's where, that's where I'm the best fit right now. So we'll see. You never know though. It's uh things change and, and uh, maybe, maybe I'll want to take that challenge on one day. Yeah, I'm sure whatever challenge comes your way, you will uh, tackle it with both arms as you always have. All right. Last thing, potentially the most important. I have cross referenced this with some sources, but uh, your boy, Sam Hunt, he confirmed that Tic Tac is in fact your nickname, and I need some some background information on how this came to be and what's the meaning of it. PG thirteen is fine. <laughs> so, uh, man, if anybody that knows, so the, the nickname came from Jeff Foltz, and if you know Jeff Foltz, I don't know that it has to have a meaning or that it it ever <laughs> was something that's um, that means anything. It's just Foltz. Like I always called him Foltzisms, right? Like he just comes up with the most random stuff. And uh, that's where it came from, honestly. Like, I wish I knew. I wish I had a story. I wish it was something really cool, but it's not. Okay. It's just something he started calling me one day because I looked like a kid that was in his neighborhood that his parents called Tic Tac. So it was like, <laughs> awesome. Yep. So that's where it came from. And uh, anybody that knows Fultzy, well, they'll definitely understand it. Well, thank you, Fultzy, for that wonderful nickname. Yeah, I saw him tweet that today. He's like, Tic Tac's back. I was like, I, all right, I got to get to the bottom of this because I'm talking to Chris in like an hour. So thank you to Sam for confirming that. Chris, thank you so much for the time, man. Again, like I said, it's a crazy busy week for you. You're pulling double duty this weekend. You're waiting to go to your doctor's appointment, so I'll let you get to it. But good luck this weekend. We'll have to have you back because I feel like we just scratched the surface, but always, always appreciate your time. Great to see you killing it in the truck series and go get title number two. Sounds good, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we are back. Thank you so much again to Chris for carving out the time. Thank you to Jeff Dennison of Front Row Motorsports as well for helping coordinate that conversation. It was great to catch up with Chris. Again, go way back a little bit to the KM Pro Series East and West where we first kind of got to know each other and saw him the other week out in the Bristol Dirt Garage. It was good to see him face to face and was great to catch up with him. So Chris, thank you for the time. Jeff, thank you for helping coordinate. Looking forward to chatting with both of you guys very soon and having Chris back on to potentially discuss the state of the sport as it pertains to the truck series, which we just didn't have time to get to, but I'm excited to see his perspective on that. And who knows, maybe next time we'll have him back, he'll have some more wins under his belt or maybe even another championship. You never know. Time to chat briefly about the paperclip Martinsville Speedway this past weekend out in Virginia. Unfortunately, was not the best race. It was better than last spring, but that is a uh, that is a very low bar to clear, in my opinion. The short track package for the next gen car it continues to just show that we have a lot of work to do. Um, still, now NASCAR has gone directionally positive and upward trajectory. I would say. Uh, in terms of what they've done with the diffuser strikes and the amount of downforce, et cetera, et cetera. 
there still is just a lot of things that need to be improved and tweaked upon. If I knew the answers on what specifically needed to be done, I probably wouldn't be recording this podcast right now. I have a lot of money in my pocket and a lot of people hitting me up to figure out what to do and how to do it. I listen to the people that are more experienced and much smarter than me. Some of the things that they say are, which is easier said than done, give the drivers more horsepower. But we know that that is a very, very touchy subject as it pertains to the drivers because they've been wanting it for a long time. The manufacturers, the engine builders, and the sanctioning body say it's, well, it's not that easy to just, you know, slap three, 400 more horsepower onto an engine. These things take time. These things cost money. Uh, another thing that obviously is a big glaring issue, I don't know about issue, but something that's contributing to the lack of passing and the lack of quote-unquote good racing subjectively in some people's eyes is the wider tire on the next-gen car. Corey LaJoy was pointing out some specifics on this on SiriusXM's On Track this past Tuesday, basically saying that each tire is about an inch and a half wider than the previous generation car's tire was. So that is a total of three inches of Goodyear rubber that is taken to the asphalt or the concrete or whatever the surface is and being able to grip up and dig out of the corner, not to mention that this car also has another gear. So, you know, you hear the saying, grab a gear and disappear. That's literally what these guys and gals are doing behind the wheels of these next-gen cars because, you know, in the past at Martinsville, you would not be shifting in and off the corners. You would just be in fourth the entire time, and if you slipped up, you paid a penalty. You paid a price for it. People were able to capitalize, root and gouge you out the way, et cetera, et cetera. Now, again, from you know what we're seeing and what I've been told by people that are way smarter than me, what's happening is if you make a mistake, you can downshift or upshift, grab a gear, literally, and you do not pay a penalty for it. You know, but in the past, you would you would lose spots, you would lose ground, lap time would suffer. Now that's not really the case, just because of the wider tire. There's more profile that's touching the surface, and if you do make a mistake or an error, forced or unforced, you're able to just put your right hand on the shifter, shift up to fifth, shift down to fourth, to then shift back up to fifth and drive on away. So it's not one thing; it's not a one size fits all thing to quote unquote fix this next-gen car on short tracks, I think we would all agree that it needs some tweaking. I don't know about fixing, but tweaking is definitely needed. NASCAR has tweaked it a little bit. They have admitted, as Elton Sawyer did this week on the morning drive, that they have some more levers or levers, as he said, to potentially pull. He doesn't know what they are or when they will potentially take effect, but they are actively looking at trying to improve the package, which is a good thing and, and is what they should be doing. I wish that we could just kind of snap our fingers and magically the the package fixes itself. We obviously know it's not that simple, um, and if it was, they would have done it by now. But bottom line is a track like Martinsville that has so much history, that has produced such great racing over the last 75 years, literally, of NASCAR history and holds the spot of the penultimate race in the schedule, the round of eight cutoff to get to the championship four, that place has got to have some better action when we go back there in the fall. And and it is disappointing and disheartening and frustrating the fact that, you know, NASCAR is trying all these different things and it's just not working, unfortunately. And again, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know when it will come, how it will come, where it will come. 
All I know is that something's got to be done, and I hope that it gets done sooner rather than later. Oh, by the way, Kyle Larson won again. <laughs> Forgot to mention that, by the way. Yep, his first win at Martinsville in his 17th career start at the paperclip. 28th win at the track for Hendrick Motorsports. That leads all teams for active wins at Martinsville Speedway. I think that's actually the most wins for a single team at a single track in NASCAR history, but don't quote me 100% on that. Um, this place means a great deal to everybody at Hendrick for a myriad of reasons. Jeff Gordon told us that on Sirius as well. And, you know, some some poetry there with Kyle Larson winning in the five car. I think it was, what, 36 years after Jeff Bodine did so in the five car to keep Hendrick Motorsports' doors open as they were about to close the doors and Rick Hendrick was going to shutter All-Star Racing's operations. And obviously with the Ricky Hendrick paint scheme, given what happened with the plane crash there with Ricky losing his life along with so many others on that Hendrick Motorsports team plane. So great win for Kyle Larson. He took it from Joey Logano late in the going, who was up there basically just because he played the strategy right and caught a caution right. Um, so the race for the win was not half bad. It was just the racing that was kind of happening throughout the day, throughout the field that wasn't amazing. And you couldn't really catch the leader once they were out in clean air if you were on equal tires or an equal strategy. But nonetheless, Kyle Larson, Cliff Daniels, they did what they had to do. They did it better than anybody else on that given day. They are now two-time winners this season, and they are getting hot at the right time. Headed out to Alabama and Talladega Super Speedway this weekend for the Geico 500. 500 miles around NASCAR's biggest, baddest, highest banked, maybe fastest, but that's debatable, track of Talladega Super Speedway, blah, for you, Kerry Murphy and Toby Christie of the final lap. Um, not much to preview for this weekend other than the fact that it's a super speedway race, right? We do not know who is going to be good. We do not know who's going to be there when it counts. The one thing I will say, and I take Denny Hamlin at his word, considering that he is one of, if not the best super speedway racers of all time, definitely of this era. He says gone are the days where you could just take your car and drive from mid pack up to the front with help from two or three cars now, the way that the next-gen car is configured with the specific Super Speedway Aero package, you got to have a whole lot of help. You got to be ultra organized, and you got to do it over the long haul. You just can't drive up there with a better handling, faster car like Dale Earnhardt did, going from 18th to first in the final few laps to win at Talladega. That was his analogy, right? He says that you're not going to see that, and we haven't really seen it for the last handful of years. I mean, even this year at Daytona, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., when he won the Daytona 500, it wasn't a bad race by any means, in my opinion, but it wasn't a super speedway race that we have been accustomed to seeing with two and three and four wide maneuvers and slicing and dicing and beating and banging throughout the pack to try to jockey for position. It's been very kind of get in line, stay in line, follow the leader, make your move at the last second, when it counts, hang people out to dry, but there hasn't really been many third lanes forming or people and guys being able to go out and try to catch runs and make runs because it really feels like once you're in a lane, you're kind of stuck there. And it does take skill to position yourself within said lanes to be in a spot to capitalize when the time comes. But to Denny Hamlin's point, as he said on Actions Detrimental, the days that we're used to seeing of guys being able to actually manipulate the air 
and the skill coming out to play big time on super speedways, unfortunately, that may be gone for now. You know, not to say that it could potentially come back later, but that's the box that these guys and gals are put in, and that's the box that they are going to have to play in at Talladega. But I still think you'll have your Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin types up front. Uh, Ryan Blaney's really, really good at Talladega. I wouldn't be surprised if you had uh, Chris Lawson's driver, Todd Gillen, battling up there in the 36 this weekend, as Zane Smith will be in the 38. So excited to see how all the action plays out. The uh, Trucks and Xfinity Series are both in action as well. Dash for cash for the Xfinity Series, another $100,000 on the line. So Triple header weekend of racing action. Actually, quadruple header as the Arkham Menard Series is in action, too. So all the action on Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, Channel 90, and Fox Sports and the Motor Racing Network. That will wrap things up for today's episode of Victory Land, episode 181 in the books, 182 coming at you next week. I can tell you who the next guest is going to be. And it is Parker Retzlaff, driver for Jordan Anderson Racing in the number 31 Chevrolet. His first full-time season in Xfinity this year for Parker. He's a very kind of mild-mannered, low-key, reserved type of kid. Uh, But I think I hopefully got him to come out of his shell just a little bit on the show. So I'm excited for you guys to hear that next week. If you guys like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. I know I say it every week and it sounds trivial, but it's really quick. It doesn't take that long. Leave a rating and a review. You can do so on iTunes, the green app, which I shouldn't say since I work for a competitor, Uh, Google, SoundCloud, any podcast app that you get your shows on. This podcast and this show should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, please drop me a line. I'll try to rectify that for you, and I will do it as quickly as possible. Thank you guys for tuning in this week and every single week. Be sure to listen to TMD and Loose Ends on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, tying up everything from the week that was in the sport. We will talk to you guys next week to recap Talladega and chat with Parker Retzlaff. We'll see you then.